So the question we have to do to open this podcast before even the introduction is... One more? You think we need one more? Okay, we'll get one more. Oh, I was going to ask, what do you got against Terry Benedict? <laughs> That's a good one, too. But regardless, I'm Samuel. And I'm... Well, Bentley for now. <laughs> and this is the Re-View podcast. podcast. And today, we're covering Ocean's Eleven. Which is now 20 years old. Oh my god. Yes. 20 years old. Ocean's Eleven. And I gotta tell you, it's 20 years young, man. It hasn't skipped a beat. There's a is... difference, my son, between fashion and style. Fashion comes and goes. Fashion is watching a movie like Saturday Night Fever, right? It's a particular moment in time. It was white hot at the time. Who watches that anymore? Style goes on forever. And Ocean's Eleven has style. Style to burn, baby. That's what I was looking for as we sat down and watched it again yesterday with Truman. Sad that he can't be with us here because he knows the trilogy front and back and inside and out. But he had to drive back home to Virginia. Yes. So shout out to Truman. Yes. Uh, I've always loved the uh, first three oceans, but I hadn't watched them in a while. So we thought, perfect for the review. And we did get to watch them with Truman yesterday. And I that was actually what my eye was looking for was, okay, 20 years ago, is this going to look dated? Is this going to feel like a little goofy? Right? And yes, there's there's like a flip phone jumps out at you at one point, but otherwise you're like, no, this could have been made last year. Matt Damon mentions a pager once. Yeah, it's, that's it. It's amazing. It is. It might. I think it's probably Soderbergh's best, personally. I think it's it's fluid. And you read the trivia about it. His comment about the film. His driving thesis is: I just wanted to make a movie that was just a joy from start to finish. I just wanted people to have fun. I just wanted it to be a guilty pleasure without the guilt. He's just, I want, he wants to take you on that ride. He wants you to have fun. And it, it does that from start to finish. And I think it's important for us to touch on, uh, especially before we really get into the meat of the film itself, what we talk about so often is, uh, obviously we talk about the canon, but we talk about reboots and sequels and how yeah. do you continue the story for the next generation. Lest we forget, Ocean's Eleven is itself a remake. It's a remake. Of a Sinatra and, a, and the Rat Pack movie. And so here's where I step in as Gen X to say, so I was aware of it as a film buff growing up, but you know what? I still to this day have never seen Ocean's Eleven. I do like Sinatra's music. I have an appreciation for what they did. You know, I would see these old guys showing up on the Christmas specials in the 70s. But I think a lot of why my generation didn't care about the first Oceans was because it was so heavily identified with a certain group of people. Yeah. Right? It was it was like one of those... Um, well, I guess this does lead into the reboot where, uh, you know, uh, Sinatra is playing a character in the movie, but he's basically playing Sinatra. Like, everybody in the audience knows that that's the Rat Pack up on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's just an excuse to watch the Rat Pack ham it up, right? Have some fun. But it wasn't my generation. I didn't grow up watching the Rat Pack, so I didn't care. And then here comes Clooney. Yeah. And he's... there. Is, he's, Clooney, I may have had this, sur, uh, this smirk surgically added to his face for the duration of this filming. Because the whole film, he is the cat that has the canary in its mouth. Yeah. And 
it's the perfect characterization for this master thief, for this man who can get himself out of any jam, and has only now found himself actually facing the consequences of his actions. And this latest scam is to get him out of those consequences. And so this is really like the first time that I felt like, okay, we're watching middle-aged Clooney, right? And let's not forget... Well, I'll be honest, I didn't watch any of ER, so I'm only familiar with middle-aged Clooney. Well, but you're familiar with Batman and Robin. Well, that's because that's art. <laughs> Batman it's and Robin... Actually, the worst movie Hollywood has ever made. I... The bat nipples beg to differ, sir. He The bat credit card. He crashed a gigantic Hollywood franchise right before he makes this movie. Yes. So the success of this is important for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Okay? Uh, it saves Clooney's career, for one thing. <laughs> for another, you know, we had been fed a steady diet for like 15 years of the buddy cop movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We had already gotten four lethal weapons. It was just... And we love the Rush Hour movies, but we're two Rush Hour movies deep by this point. This Rush point. Hour 2 comes out in 2000, like, oh my God, we got right, right. buddy so, cop movies coming out your ears. So this really was the first of a whole wave of ensemble movies, right? And there are female versions of this. Mamma Mia probably doesn't get made without the success of Oceans. Oceans is the first time that you get all these A-list actors together on the screen at once and they work as a team, both in the narrative, but also in making this movie so much fun yeah. for the audience, right? In other words, they check their egos at the door. Yep. Well, they're also, it's, it's an ensemble film about criminals. And I don't think that happens without Pulp Fiction, making the, the anti-hero and the criminal such a, a, a powerful driving force into the 90s i suppose but i i don't view pulp fiction as an ensemble movie because it's a bunch of separate vignettes oh that's fair that's fair that's a good point but yeah so this comes out in 2001 uh clearly made pre 9 11 because boy they get a bunch of stuff on airplanes that they just shouldn't have any right to yeah but uh it's aside from that i mean it's pretty timeless it's pretty fluid it it, it probably helps that it's set in Las Vegas, which is the same. <laughs> yeah, no, Vegas hasn't changed. And, yeah. you know, there's not really a lot of, like you were talking about at the start, there's not really a lot of fashion. It's just style. They, they're they all in well, they're all in nice suits. No one's hairdo looks really mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. All of these actors have, have proven themselves numerous times over. And it's it's just, man, I, I actually don't feel like I have that much to say about Ocean's Eleven because it's like, yeah, it's Ocean's Eleven. It's awesome. Go watch. It's well, just going to devolve into us quoting well, the film. Hold on, hold on. So that's where the old guy gets to maybe say a little more. Because yeah. I remember, you know, Clooney is entertainment royalty, right? Yeah. His aunt, Rosemary, uh, sold millions of records over many, many years. And was, a, again, a fixture on 70s TV because she was of that Rat Pack generation. Right? So that's his aunt. And his dad was in uh, radio, I think. And so George, you know, was clearly a handsome guy as a young person. So he's trying to break in, right? He, and, and his early career is littered with failure. It's failure, 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 failure. And you can go online right now and, like, look up on IMDb all the stupid TV show pilots he did or his guest appearances on this show or that show. And he's, he's on Friends. And he has, like, a different hairdo in every single one of those. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So in other words... He's pursuing fashion. 
Yep. And he's failing and failing and failing and failing. ER is his first success, but you know now he's got a couple other goose eggs on his record, like Batman and Robin. So Oceans feels like the first time he says, I'm going to be Cary Grant. Yeah. Right? I'm going to be somebody who looks good in a tux. I'm going to wear classic menswear. And I'm going to have this, you know, the, the experience behind me. Right? You're going to feel that weight in my character. In other words, I'm not a goofy, slick, pretty boy. I am a man. Yep. Right? I'm a mature adult who's got some backstory, who's got some wrinkles, who's got some perspective. Always the cleverest man in the room. His superpower. To always be cleverer than whoever he's interacting with. Except for maybe Tess. But he does. But it's important to also say that both, again, his character in the movie and Clooney at this point in his career is willing to share. You see a lot of little points in the movie where he is building the team, right? So if you compare it to, say, the the version that comes next, which is Tony Stark yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the MCU, uh, you know, this character is just as good as Tony Stark at like meeting people where they're at knowing when to push or pull them, and being generous in giving them their space. Right? This is really a breakthrough movie for a lot of reasons. And one of them, a really big part of its success, is Clooney sharing the stage. Yep. Clooney, Pitt, Damon, Cheadle, on and on and on and on and on. And, well, and, and people and have Carl been earlier... Carl Reiner uh, from an earlier generation, Elliot Gould from an earlier generation. I mean, Elliot Gould was a leading man in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I really, as an old guy who grew up with some of this stuff, do appreciate the generational interaction in this yeah. movie, right? The way they kind of bounce off each other. Like, we really loved last night the uh, line where, you know, Clooney, as the maitre d', you know, as the team builder says, okay, this is really dangerous, thanks for flying out to this pad, but I'm going to walk inside now to explain what we're doing, and you should know that it's high risk, high reward, if you don't want to come in, that's fine, you just, you know, eat your fill, you've got your return plane ticket, you can leave, yep. right, and so everybody gets up and follows him in, because, you know, they're already committed, they've already flown out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> except Matt Damon, who's the new guy, right, he's the the everyman young guy that we're supposed to watch this through his eyes, and he's still sitting by the pool, and Elliot Gould comes over and says, oh, so you're so-and-so's kid. Yeah, yeah. You live in Chicago. Yeah, you're from Chicago. That's nice. Get in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Originally, the Matt Damon role was supposed to be played by Mark Wahlberg. Which would have been terrible. That would have tanked the whole movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You can't have Marky Mark in a funky function. Ocean's Eleven. He decided not to do Ocean's Eleven because he wanted to do Planet of the Apes. Good one, Mark. Loser. <laughs> I'd say that to Mark Wahlberg's face. What a loser. What a loser. Yeah. Anyway. Ocean's Eleven is awesome. I don't. I don't have that much smart. I don't have that much smart things to say about because the movie's so smart. It's 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 incredibly well shot. Almost every single scene, the camera is in motion. The yes. camera is almost never sitting still, doing something as boring as shot reverse shots. Shot reverse shot. Soderbergh is too smart for that. Right. And I I apologize. I forget profusely. I, I forget the cinematographer's name, but it's almost always in motion, and almost the only time the camera ever stops is usually. When Ocean is talking with Tess. That's almost yes, that's right. only the time that, the camera stops, slows down, has them both in frame, just yeah. talking to each other. And that 
is freaking brilliant when you are using every single tool of storytelling at your disposal. And that's, again, why this is so watchable after you've already seen what happens with the caper, right? There's a, there are a lot of movies like whodunits, murder mysteries, and caper movies where once you watch it and you see what happens, it's rare to go back and watch them again, right? Yep. I mean, you're like, okay, well, I know what happens. Uh, but this one you can watch over and over and over and over because of the camera work being so fluid, which keeps the motion really flowing quickly forward. But so does the music. You noticed yesterday when we watched that really one of the few times that there isn't this really nice, jazzy, groovy music underneath is when you get to the boxing match on the Saturday night yep. of the caper. Yep. You hear just the crowd and there's no music. Like It's almost a music video. Yep. Yeah, the, the whole movie is one part heist movie, one part music video. And, and I mean that as high compliment because I, all the tracks are ripping it's grooving right along. It it just the whole thing feels like jazz. The whole thing yes. feels like yes. uh, not improvisational jazz. It mm -hmm. feels like structured, plotted jazz. We're gonna do this jazz standard that's been in the canon. Yes. We're gonna do this eight minute jazz standard. We're gonna hit all the notes just right. We might add a flourish or two there that you haven't seen before, but we're not going to shake up the fundamental formula. We're just going to execute a really freaking good heist movie. Yeah, and you've read enough about, um, you know, Quincy Jones yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. some of these other jazz maestros to know, you know, and Sting was smart enough to realize this in the 80s when he went uh, towards jazz that, you know, the jazz musicians, that, that musical genre prides itself on everybody knows what they're doing, right? You And you hear me say that about actors all the time. I love movies where you can clearly tell that the actors know what they're doing, mm -hmm. right? And so when you have a jazz performance, right, everybody can, they get their solos and there is some fluidity to it. There's a, a general direction everybody's going. But when you, when the drummer takes his time, he knows what he's doing. Nobody's yep. going to flub. Yeah, right? yeah. No, the, the whole thing's not going to collapse because somebody doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so that's the sense you get from Ocean's Eleven is no matter how many minutes somebody gets, like Carl Reiner, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of time compared to some of the others, but he knows exactly what he's doing. And I love watching how much is communicated without the dialogue, right? We talk about how... There's a lot of music, there's a lot of camera movement. What I like is how many times there's a silent reaction shot that tells a huge chunk of the story and the character. Yep. Like, there is no dialogue, but you know exactly the next step in the story. Yep. I, I What I love about the film that I only noticed on this viewing is how absolutely no character gets any sort of backstory beyond what has to be communicated <laughs> in the moment. Yeah. You have no idea what Carl Reiner used to do. Like, they, they say right. he's been in the life, they say he's been a thief of some kind, yeah, yeah. but he's clearly a degree more dangerous than the rest of the crew, at least in his past, because they seem to take him very seriously. He has that moment, like, like yeah. again, the whole thing works because even though it has this tone that goes all the way through, there are moments that make you sit up and pay attention mm -hmm. where they don't necessarily play a note wrong, but they play it louder or mm -hmm. softer than you think they're going to play mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So 
to have Clooney come up and question, okay, is Carl Reiner actually committed to this? Is he just getting old? Does he just want a little bit more glory? Like, okay, I've seen this note before. He's, you know, maybe he's just searching for a glory hound. But to have him turn to Clooney and go, if you ever ask me that question again, the next time you go to sleep, you're not going to wake up? And have Clooney clearly take him seriously. Yeah, Clooney backs right down. Something, so, but you have no idea what Carl Reiner used to do. He's clearly the most dangerous of them, but you're like, I have no idea. Like, when he, even when he tells Rusty, when he tells Brad Pitts, you know, I saw you when you woke up this morning. He's joking. Is he? Is he joking? Because Rusty doesn't brush that comment off. Rusty's like, yes, hello, sir. Like, he's, you know, like, they are, there's, everyone brings a different flavor to it. And, it's 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 diverse in both writing and and the the makeup of the group. It feels fun and fluid and God, it just you know I, I hate to slip into cliches. I feel like I've already said too many cliches, but it really feels timeless. It really yeah you know we're twenty years on at this point. If it was gonna start to feel dated, it would have started to feel dated. I think so. And I think yeah. the only thing that really feels dated is maybe watching boxing on HBO. Like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think yeah, I'm not really that popular anymore, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, boy, like, even Don Cheadle's crazy Cockney accent is kind of endearing at this point, because... I really don't mind it. I mean, Don Cheadle, he's actor emeritus at this point. He can yeah. do whatever he wants. Yeah, so, yeah. looking back on this, you're like, eh, he wanted to try Cockney accent. What are you going to yeah. do? You going to be mad at Don? Don's, nah, Don's worked hard enough. I'm not going to be mad at him. Let, let, let Don do his thing. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's just fun. It just it's like what's it just over two hours? God, it feels like half an hour. It just flies right along. It's it's like it's just so well constructed, and there's not a scene wasted. And you read it, it's again filmmaking is such a fantastic dance of all these creative disciplines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and voices, and and obviously that's destroyed and hurt more projects than it's helped. But sometimes you know the producers have a good idea and. Soderbergh wanted to shoot this in black and white. Ooh, I didn't know that. And the producers were like, yeah, you can shoot it in black and white if you want us to cut the budget by a, like down to a fourth of what it is right now, and we'll make this a little art picture, and you can release it in select theaters. He was like, okay, fine, color. And it's like, thank God it's in color. You're in Vegas. Not even the original Ocean's Eleven is in black and white. The original <laughs> Ocean's Eleven is in color. So like, that tells you the way they were thinking going into it, that they wanted to make a classic movie. Yes, and, and so, you know, we think of classic movies in black and white. But we literally have the example of how that goes wrong. Yeah. Because after this... So here we go. They're, you know, they're making a couple of other oceans, which I still like. I like two and three uh, a lot. I have not seen either of those more than once. Well, we're going to have to watch some of those. But don't worry, folks. We won't podcast those. We're just doing the, the first one. Because I do think this is in the canon. But... You know, God bless Clooney. He's tried really hard to do other great works. Uh, I I like the acting that he's done in other people's projects. But, you know, then he does things like uh, his World War II heist movie about art. which Monuments is, Men. Monuments Men, which is And trying, he did The Good German. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I mean, yeah, my, yeah I'm Monuments sorry. I, Men, I, 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 I jumped the gun Men, on you. Uh, I, I watched twice. And, you know, I'm sorry, it's not Saving Private Ryan, nor is it Ocean's Eleven. So, he, you know, it's it's not there. It doesn't hang together. It's not classic. Didn't he also do uh, Slaughterhouse, Slaughterhouse Five? I think he did. I have not yeah. seen that. Oh, man. So, he's, you know, he has a very high pitch. Well, he's also the executive producer and uh, early star of the uh, Amazon attempt at remaking um, 
Catch Twenty Two. Oh, that's what I meant. Uh, not Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, yeah, he, Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, he, he tried, don't know what I was thinking. He tried making Catch Twenty Two. All these books I had to read for high school. Uh, right. <laughs> they all right. blurred together. And that didn't really hang. I think I made three episodes of Catch Twenty Two, and he really, really, really tries hard to remake Casablanca in The Good German, which is shot in black and white because that's how you make a classic Hollywood film. And I've watched that twice, and guess what? It's not Casablanca. But you uh, know what comes really close to being Casablanca? Ocean's Eleven. And you know what comes really close to Ocean's Eleven? Fantastic Mr. Fox. Where he's <laughs> playing almost the exact same character, <laughs> which is awesome, except it's much lower stakes. It's unimaginably lower stakes. Yeah. He's trying to steal, like, honey from a farmer. <laughs> I love that movie. Anyway, I just had to get my Fantastic okay, Mr. Fox plug right. in there. Well, well, we'll get to Wes Anderson at some point, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Hi, Wes. But, I know you're listening. But we're really... <laughs> What really jumped out at this Give me back my bike. Of, <laughs> and my puppets. I want my toys back. Give me back my puppets, Wes. You know, he came over for miniature painting one time. Never returned my brushes, little bastard. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Anyway. But anyway, I want to get back to Casablanca, which is what jumped out to me this time in watching Ocean's Eleven really was the love story. And I, I saw it there when I first watched it. Is just like okay, that's that's the um, the MacGuffin, right? Yeah. That that makes him want to do the heist. But all I cared about was the heist and kind of the buddy buddy teammate stuff. But this time they really do sell it well. He and um, what's her face? I don't care about her. Um, well, she makes twenty. Julia million Roberts. Million. Thank you. Julia she Roberts. makes twenty million dollars a movie. So well, that's know. great. I'm not watching them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he and Julia really do a great job of selling the love story. And at the end, you know, where she's running, she's she's walked out on Terry Benedict, and she's running after him in heels, in heels as he's being knows arrested. How to run in heels. I mean, she's literally doing the run at the airport, which is at the end of almost every rom com now. That's the run at the end of Ocean's Eleven. It's the scene at the airport in Casablanca, and I bought it this time. I'm like, oh. Well, I'm not going to get too real here on the podcast, but you're a much different Bentley Boyd than you were when you first watched oh, this in true. 2001. That's very You've true. got a lot more mileage and experience. And a lot more airports. A lot more airports. So many airports. A lot of airports. <laughs> Why did we go see Fool's Gold again? Uh, I know, right? Oh, anyway, right. so it's, it's, it's it, a masterpiece. It's totally a masterpiece. It's in the canon. It's completely dialogue-driven. It could work as a stage play. It's, yes. it's, and obviously, obviously that's not the only barometer of a movie. There are plenty of great films that could never work as a stage play. Right. But it's so, the script has to be so sharp. Yeah. And it is absolutely sharp as a dagger. Yeah. You can cut yourself on it. Yeah, the there's not a wasted is, word. No, the wit is so dry and so funny and all the characters bounce off each other perfectly. You believe their camaraderie. You believe that they are a team, even though they're all thieves. Yeah. You know, they never get into the cliched question of, you know, honor among thieves or right. whatever. Who's stealing from whom? It's not right. even, this is not a question. It's not that kind of movie. They're right. all getting enough, more than enough money for all of them. They have to work in perfect concert for them to get away at all. Mm -hmm. So there's no opportunity for anyone to betray each other. And I love that that's never a question. Yeah. I love that even yeah. when uh, Matt Damon's character is at the height of his, you know, doubting Thomas ways and he's following folks and he's kind of getting freaked out. There's never a question of, is he going to full-on betray the group? He's just, right. 
He just wants to know what the lay of the land is because he's just been, you know, drafted, basically. Yeah, that's right. So I, I love that this movie, like, it's, you know, clearly these are not good people, but you do believe that they are good enough. They're good enough to each other. They're better than Terry Bennett. They're, they're better than Terry <laughs> Bennett. Well, that's what the whole movie's about, is the degrees of criminality. What's more criminal? Stealing from a criminal or beating up criminals that try and steal from criminals? Like, it's it's... <laughs> What is what is Tess willing to settle for? Correct. Like, like yeah, Ocean. Correct. Ocean what is, is she a thief. To settle for, but he's he only lied about being a thief. Like it's, <laughs> it's and well, Terry's both a liar and a thief. Well, you know, I really want to take a minute here to give a shout out to Andy Garcia because he makes the movie work. And you know, the third one, a lot of people think is the worst of the three, uh, and that's where you get Pacino being just his normal yelling self and there's a great contrast between Pacino's bad guy and Andy Garcia's bad guy. Andy Garcia's bad guy is a cold-blooded killer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is a guy who he slides across the screen. He's a total snake. He's a total snake and I uh, loved him. Yeah. Loved, you know, I've never not liked him in this and you really need somebody who can counterbalance all of these fun, sassy, watchable thieves yeah right because well, he's got to counterbalance 11 people well he can't outfund the crew so i love that they make him completely schedule driven completely business completely mm -hmm. organized like control. he is yeah he's all about control he's not you know the 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 thieves have a plan but they're also improvisational again yeah. it's it's right. jazz whereas he is i don't know i guess he'd be classical music yeah. he's he's completely formulaic you can't change a single note he's beethoven yeah he's beethoven <laughs> and and i just i love that he doesn't try and out charm the 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 major cast because you never could right and uh, you know the only person who could maybe out charm 11 other actors of that talent is Raul julia who is unfortunately dead by this point yeah. you can't cast Raul julia at this point but Poor guy. it's uh it's a hell of a film it's completely stood the test of time it's yeah. it's yeah. It's it it's so funny because it has now completely overshadowed the original. I don't know anyone who even talks about the Sinatra well, original. No one cares. No, nobody cares. Nobody talks about it. And even I, a film buff, you know, I've never seen it. I don't feel the need to. No, don't need to. Don't need to. This has completely overshadowed it. There's there's no and you know what? Uh, at some point I'll need to watch Ocean's Eight. I'll totally admit to going yeah. into this podcast having not seen Ocean Eight. I, I need to as well. Hopefully you guys know me well enough in this podcast to know that it has nothing to do with it being all women. I, I don't care. It's that's cool. It's fine. I mm -hmm. I just I didn't I didn't need that. After Ocean's Eleven, I was like, I'm not there's no void in me that like needs uh, I mean, I know you and Truman even like Oceans twelve and thirteen. I haven't yes. seen them enough to revisit them, but I'll be honest, Ocean's Eleven is fine by itself. That's it's, all it needs true. to do. It's true. No, no. But I do like the whole uh, Oceans verse. Yes, the extended <laughs> Oceans verse. So at this point, we should be all the way up to like Oceans 21. I'll watch that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years later, do the, do, the, do the sequel, Oceans bring 21. Bring in the kids. Bring in... No, I just meant bring the two cast together because you've got Oceans oh. 13 and Oceans 8. Yeah, yeah. Bring all the cast together. That would be cool. Oceans 21. That would be cool. We're going to need a big job. How many do you think we need? 21. Really? 21? <laughs> no, well, anyway, it'll take too long for us to figure out how to Yeah, we can't work. we can't pitch this in the remaining four minutes that yeah. we've got. Is that so many stars to balance? That's a lot of people. That's so many egos. I mean, you got Rihanna in there. That's a lot of people. You got Rihanna in there. You got Rihanna, you got Rihanna in there. I mean, oh my God. Oceans 1. Oceans 1. Oceans Rihanna. One. 
I would watch Oceans 2, George Clooney and Rihanna. Look, I just watched the uh, Red Notice thing, you know, that landed on Netflix. And yeah, yeah. That, and that's the same kind of thing. It's a heist movie. It's down to three slick, fun, watchable stars. But, you know, you look at uh, Red Notice, there's no way that gets made without all the success of the Oceans movies. No, no. Oceans single-handedly bought heist movies another 20 years at least. Correct. Because you can always say, it's Oceans with blank. It's right. an elevator pitch the same way Die Hard. Is the, pitch. the way they made Die Hard for 20 years. It's yes. Die Hard on a boat. <laughs> That's right. Cruise Speed 2, Cruise Control. <laughs> we have mentioned both Speed 2, Cruise Control, and Batman and Robin in an Ocean's Eleven podcast, which I think is really a spectacular feat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Never think that you're only getting one thing when you come to the review podcast. You're always getting more than one thing. Yeah, you pick up an issue of Spider-Man, you're going to see Daredevil in there, too. I know, but we haven't mentioned Star Wars. We usually mention Star oh, Wars. Oh, damn it. We almost single... got through an entire podcast. No, no, this is meta. I'm just saying the phrase. It's not like we're talking about it. I think we can get out of this without mentioning Star Wars. No, come on. There's only uh, there's, there's only one, there's one, minute. one minute left. There's one minute left. There's no comparison between the ensemble cast in Galaxy Space and the oh, ensemble. Oh God! Rogue One is a remake of Ocean's Eleven, isn't it? It's a heist movie. Oh, no! it's an ensemble heist movie. Shit. That's okay. Rogue One, Rogue One's awesome as well. But it Rogue is. One wouldn't exist without Ocean's Eleven. It's, it's Oceans in Space. It's Oceans in Space. Okay. And D-Day. There we go. That we, helps. We, we had, we got you brought it up. You brought it up. <laughs> I was fine. You, it was fine until you pointed it out. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. Look, I, the canon is the canon. You can't move it but so much. I guess. I mean, that's the whole... That's the podcast, though. That's that the We're podcast. interrogating this. Is Yeah, and, but even if we throw something out like 2001 A Space Odyssey, I mean, how much do we actually vote, you know? Yeah. Well, we're just nudging it our little bit. It's important to note that if a tree falls in the forest, it doesn't matter if it makes a sound or not. The important thing is that the tree was standing. And, and it's now, now it has fallen. fallen. That's correct. That's always the, that's always the point. That's anyway. correct. Well, I think Ocean's Eleven uh, from 2001 starring George Clooney and Brad Pitt is in the canon. Boy, I hope you were the groom. <laughs> you think we need one more? You always use one more. You always use one more. I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley. And this has been the Review Podcast. Podcast.